The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Hey friends, I want to welcome to the program author and musician, Andrew Peterson. Andrew, thanks for spending time with me today. Yeah, man, good to see you. It's great to see you. So, so I mentioned musician and author. Uh, there are many people who are obviously familiar with your music, but you've been a respected and uh, well-known author for a little bit now uh, because of the Wing Feather saga. So for those who are maybe familiar with your music but who aren't familiar with Wing Feather, uh, give us a quick overview of this book series. Well, I don't know how to do that. I've tried many times to give a quick overview, um, and it is it, my brain gets all clogged with information. So I'll just tell you it's a four-book fantasy adventure series uh, written for children of all ages, um, and... I grew up reading fantasy and always wanted to try my hand at writing a big epic, and uh, and it became the Wingfeather Saga, which has just been one of the great joys of my life. So, so how do you how do you start the process of writing fantasy? Because you know the thing about fantasy is like it's a it's a whole world. You you create a, a whole world, and and that that has to be like an incredibly daunting task to begin. So like where do you even start with that? Uh, well, it, it's. I, like many people who have tried to write books, I had many false starts over the years. And, you know, all the way back to high school even, I wanted to, to, to try writing a book. Um, but it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, maybe early 30s. I can't remember exactly when I really started in earnest. Um, but I took a cue from Tolkien who said you start with a map. And so... Um, a lot of times we get uh, kind of get things out of order by uh, trying to write the story before we've built the world. And uh, when it comes to fantasy, you have to build the world first. And uh, the story kind of grows out of the compost of the world building. And so, yeah, I just drew, drew a, a nerdy map uh, with my sketchbook from high school and uh, started writing imaginary histories and backstories and next thing you know i i had uh, i i bumped into my main character so so you have this this wonderful quote and, and we'll, we'll get to the, the latest uh, addition to the world of Wingfeather in just a second but in the in the in the in the preface of this latest edition you have this this great quote from uh this or this, this thought from tolkien that says that the building of imaginary worlds is one of our highest callings as image-bearing children of god and he tolkien bore that image well. Tell me more about why that, that thought, that idea from Tolkien, that, that building worlds is, is one of our highest callings as image bearers of God. Why that, why that resonates with, with you? And well, why it, res- it should resonate with us. Yeah, well, it's, the, the idea is in his essay on fairy stories, which is really marvelous. It's, it's, a, it's not like a short, easy read. It's this essay that he wrote um, for a talk that he delivered in the 30s, I think. And uh, anyway, it's it's basically uh, his theology of storytelling and that, like how he thinks of storytelling as a Christian. And uh, it's fascinating to read. But one of the one of the ideas that he, he puts forth is this idea that God is the creator with a capital C and that we are sub-creators. 
Mm. We are little creators. And like from a biblical standpoint, I, I learned this this year that the uh, the the Hebrew word for create is only ever used in in uh, in uh, talking about God. And wow. the, whenever it talks about people, uh, it always uses the word make. So God creates, but people make, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating. So it, it keeps with the Tolkien thing that like God is the creator. He, he spoke the world into being. But one of the ways that we bear out his image is that we also speak light into the world and we speak where we also build uh, kingdoms. And mm. part of the beauty of of like the new creation in the church is that. I feel like um, God has invited us to participate in the building of his kingdom. And so when we use our imaginations uh, and then use our creativity to make things, um, that's, it's, it's an imitation of, of our creator. And so there's something holy and mysterious at work anytime you sit down to, to make anything, whether you're writing a sermon or a song or drawing up architectural plans or, or even, I would argue, um, um, coming up with a vaccine, you know, <laughs> like there's all, all this like real intense image bearing uh, creativity that is, that is coming out of us in that way. And so Tolkien kind of pushed it up. Like he, he was a big fan of fairy tales in, in the loose sense. And so uh, he argued that like that kind of world building is like that kind of sub creative impulse at its highest is us actually like building an imaginary world and, uh, and, and writing a false history, <laughs> not false, it's probably the wrong word, but, you know, an imaginary history of that world is like us exercising like the highest form of that kind of creativity. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but that's what he said. Well, I mean, it's I think the the way you just articulated it, it's um, it adds a sense of purpose and beauty and um, dignity to every vocation. Right. I mean, whether you're whether yeah. you're whether you're writing a, a, a fantasy world. Uh, like quite literally or, or not, um, the, the idea that we are all working to, to be building a, a kingdom in some sense um, that is reflective in some way of the ultimate building and the ultimate kingdom that God has created. Mm-hmm. And that we, as, if, if you're people of faith, you get to try and do that in step with the heart and the values of the one who, who writes the whole who writes the whole story, right? So, so as God created, I get to make in whatever way in which I've been called to make. Right. Um, and, and now in, 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 in the wing feather saga, your, your story, that your, your fantasy world, the, the, the world of fantasy that you've created, it, it very purposely, uh, mirrors, touches on the, uh, the things of God in the tradition of, uh, of Tolkien and, and, and Lewis. Um, it, in a sense, it's, a, it's, it's an allegory, for lack of a better term, of something bigger and something greater. Um, am, uh, am, I, am, I, am I accurate in that or no? Um, sort of. Like, I think it's written in the same spirit, uh, you know, this sounds pretentious, but as the Tolkien and the Lewis thing and a lot of other fantasy writers. I think, I think really what that just means is that I'm a Christian who, who, who sincerely believes in the person of Jesus and, and looks at the world through that lens and looks at the, the vocation of, uh, telling, of storytelling through that lens. So, um, you know, what I happen to believe is that God commandeers stories written by anybody all the time. And, uh, all truth is God's truth, obviously. And, and so as a, uh, as an author, like as somebody who sat down and spent 10 years trying to tell a story, I was, um, you know, there were some, some themes, I guess, that I had in mind when I sat down to write the book, but I, I didn't have like, um, 
I was desperate to not moralize. You know, I didn't want I didn't want the books to be just like these didactic. Um, you know, I'm I'm not writing the book just so that I can, you know, provide examples of of courage or whatever. I I believed like I think that happens, but that's not ultimately what I sat down to do. What I sat down to do was to to write the very very best story that I was capable of writing, um, and in doing so, trusting the Holy Spirit in me to do what he would through that story. And so, of course, you know, what I believe is going to come out in the, in the book. Yeah. So in that sense, like if I, if you think of it as Tolkien on, Tolkien on one end of the spectrum and C.S. Lewis on the other end, right? So the Narnia books, like, uh, have an Aslan character. Like he was supposing that God would interact with the world of Narnia um, in the way that he interacted with our real world. And so he was, it was like a little more on the nose. Um mm-hmm with the Narnia books, which amazingly didn't reduce their power. Like I think it's a testimony to the fact that Lewis was such a great writer that, that he got away with it somehow. I don't know how, um, but a lot of, a lot of Christian fantasy these days tends to, you know, lean toward, I'm telling you this story, but the real thing that I'm trying to do is to get you to believe in Jesus. Right. Mm. And so I, I'm not saying that I don't want people to believe in Jesus, but I think the way to, to surprise people with the truth is to first tell the best story that you can. Mm-hmm. And then and there's a sense in which the rest of it is God's business, not mine. Mm-hmm. And so um, as a believer, I like, I'm thrilled that people have been, you know, have told me that they've been edified by it or they felt longing. That's one of the things that I most wanted was for people to wake up to their, their longing for the new creation and for Christ himself. Um, but I, I was I was I took very seriously um, the the fact that you can't get the cart before the horse. You have to start with tell a great story um, and then trust that those things are going to happen. Hmm. For those who aren't familiar with the world of Air We Are and the the Igabe family, could, could you could you tell us a, a little bit about the journey that they take without you know spoiling without things? spoiling. Uh, it's hard to do. I can tell you that there, the it's it focuses on three children who are siblings, Janner, Kalmar, and and Lily, who uh, are grow- in the first book. They're living in a little town called Glipwood that is overrun by the fangs of Dang. It's this you know kind of imagine uh, a Nazi army that is you know occupied their little town, and uh, and their dad died in the war. They're being raised by their mother and their grandfather, and. Um, and nobody will talk about the fact that nobody ever talks about their dad. Uh, all they know mm-hmm. is that he died in the war. And so the kids are kind of living in this mystery and underneath the oppression of this terrible force. And Janner, the main character, has this sneaking suspicion that his life is just going to always be this boring, small uh, thing. And he is he's kind of a, a forgettable person. Um, and then one day... He and his siblings discover that they are far more beloved than they ever would have dreamed, and that they're at the heart of this mystery that is going to change the world forever. So this is the latest addition to the world of Wingfeather. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's the Wingfeather Tales, and it's uh it's pretty fantastic. But 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 it, but it's it's different than the previous four books in in terms of what what it what it does. It, it, it's um uh, what will you t- tell our listeners how yeah. how is this different? It's a compilation of different stories from different authors. Yeah, so it's it it grew out of the we the first edition of the book for the Wingfeather Saga was kickstarted, and so before it got picked up by Random House, and so uh, we we 
um, one of the stretch goals was a compilation of short stories by other authors. And it was like a way deep stretch goal that we never thought we would make, but we made it. And so suddenly it was like, oh boy, now I have to, to hound um, these six authors for, for stories. And so, uh, you know, in the Rabbit Room community here in Nashville, there's, there's a lot of wonderful authors. And so Jennifer Trafton, who's this great, great, great writer, um, and my brother Pete Peterson, who's a playwright and a novelist, um, Jonathan Rogers, who wrote the Wilder King trilogy, Andy Wilson, who wrote the 100 Cupboard series, uh, who else? Doug McKelvey, who wrote Every Moment Holy and is also a, a novelist, uh, wrote wrote the last story, which is this epic novella. And so it was like one of those things where I thought that the that Wing Feather Tales was going to be this slim little volume. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I wrote my story and added their stories to it. And all of a sudden we had a book that was longer than book one. And so it was this uh, kind of delightful surprise that that and what an incredible honor that these these amazing writers uh, would take the time to enter into Air We Are and into the world of the Wing Brothers saga and write stories of their own. So I, I write in the preface that that like as much as somebody else may enjoy Wing Feather Tales, nobody will experience it the way that I did because mm-hmm. uh, the analogy was that I had built this house and then invited my friends over and then they showed me all the secret passageways that I didn't know were there. And so I, all of a sudden I was experiencing parts of this world of Air We Are that I thought up that I had never seen before. And uh, and it was just a total delight. Was there was there any aspect of it that was um, that, that was gosh difficult is probably too strong of a word or was there any hesitation to to hand this world off in some sense to even um, trusted friends because you know th- th- this is precious to you obviously. Yeah, yeah, it is precious. But like I I, I love collaboration and um, it's one of the things that is that playing music for a living has taught me that like I if I write my own song and I show up in the studio and I'm really precious and and uh, defensive of the song ever changing, then the song isn't going to grow into what it could be. So like one of the joys of being in the studio is when you go, let's see what happens when we bring this guitar player in and this, this uh, background vocalist and this violinist in, and all of a sudden the song begins to like burgeon and take on more life than it would have if it was just you. And so I was really eager actually to see what would happen when these authors brought their, their own creativity to bear. So was there, was there, was there any one particular moment in the collection of these stories that gave you, uh, that surprised you the most or gave you the most joy or made you like laugh out loud if I can't believe what they've taught me about my own story or I can't believe where they took this. Why didn't yeah. I think of that as I was writing the first oh, four man. books? Every every story in one way or another did that uh, for yeah. me. Jennifer Trafton's story, The Wooing of Sophia Stoop, is like, <laughs> uh, Jennifer is one of the most creative, like uh, she wears these like goggles of wonder all the time and so um she's very childlike in a way and so her story has more made up words we actually just recorded the audiobook and the uh the producer of the audiobook who does a ton of them she said that this book should win an award for the most made up words uh that she's ever experienced because she's always like correcting my pronunciation or looking up words to make sure we're saying them right and there were so many words she was like well that's a new one like uh i can't even think of think of any uh any off the top of my head, but she's just a word nerd. So like her, her story bubbled over with it. But I think I, like one of the most moving reading experiences of my life, and I'm not exaggerating, was reading uh, The Places Beyond the Maps, Doug McKelvey's novella at the end of the story. It is one of the most, like, I, I just, it's one of the best things that I've ever, ever read, period, wow. across anything. And so it, it, it reads like this Cormac McCarthy Western uh, and it's 
but it's set in Air We Are, and it tells this heartbreaking, epic uh, story with the loftiest prose you can imagine. And, uh, man, I was a mess. I was rec- reading the audiobook aloud just a week ago and uh, kept kept getting choked up while I was reading, and they'd have to go back and I'd reread the sentences. So, But, but yeah, all of the stories in one way or another are, are delightful. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that you, you had that reaction to to Doug's addition to this book because you know every moment holy which you mentioned a, a moment ago is is a treasure to me just as a mm-hmm. as as a follower of Jesus but also as a pastor it's it's and, and the way he's able to bring meaning significance to um to just the most mundane things yeah um through that book right and mm-hmm. and um it's not a surprise at all that he's then able to to create this really vivid and emotional experience with his yeah. addition to uh, we have to said many times in the rabbit room that that I, I i feel lucky to be alive at the same time as doug McKelvey. like um i think the stuff that he's doing is going to last for a long time and i don't know if you know this but volume two of every moment holy just came out and it's oh, nice. called death grief and hope and he started writing it before covid and uh a book that is focused on liturgies for the dying for for the person who is dying to read over their family liturgies for you know miscarriages liter- like like really intense but but poignant and needed liturgies for you know and the fact that he wrote it started it before this season when our the world was going to experience tragedy after tragedy in many different ways um, and but it, it it moves from death to then the grieving process to the hope of the gospel. And man, I just—if you just read the titles of the, of the liturgies, I, I defy you to not get emotional. Um, Doug is amazing, and so the fact that he wrote a, a Cormac McCarthy western in a fantasy world is just the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. So, so Andrew, for, for for those who might be listening, and you know, perhaps you know, read, reading fantasy um, has not been something that 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 they've done for whatever reason. Maybe they, maybe they're convinced they don't like it. It's not my thing. Sure. Um, and certainly there, there, there will always be those people in the world. Um, but if you, if you had to make a case as for why someone should should be interested, not just in the world you've created, but worlds like it uh, or whole new worlds um, uh, through their reading uh, in general, uh, what would you say? Well, I would just say that s- stories are how we make sense of our lives. Like um, when I meet people who who don't like reading fiction um, I'm always a little bit like uh, shocked that 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 it could be true, and I think that like that just means they haven't found the fi- the right fiction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think maybe there's a lot of us feel this pressure to read things that we are supposed to read. You know, the book lists, uh, which um, Alan Jacobs argues are are terrible for reading. Um, that you should let whim, w h i m whim, mm-hmm. kind of guide your reading. Um, and read broadly. So I, I love nonfiction. Like I, I, my, my shelves are full of this breadth of stuff, but I love, but I think that having a well-rounded experience of, of reading is pretty important, but stories in particular an understanding of how story works is, uh, is a huge boon to just living everyday life. You know, seeing your own life in the context of a story, um, stories teach you empathy. They teach you hope. You know, it's like, it's a way of practicing, exercising the muscle of imagination, and which is this God-given thing. Um, I, uh, I just, so in the same way that like naming something changes the way you see it, right? Um, if you, 
we used to name our chickens and I think I took better care of them when they had names. You know, now our kids are all grown and to me they're just chickens. <laughs> but, uh, but the, uh, I think that poetry names things. Poetry has a way of naming complex emotions and parts of our story that are hard to articulate in any other way. And I think stories do that for our lives. I think understanding how stories work, that it names, names who we are and where we are in the story of the world that, that God is telling. And so um, I, I have a hunch that um, part of the reason C.S. Lewis and, you know, Walter Wongren Jr., Madeline Langle, Eugene Peterson, that, that some of these people uh, whose theology is still is so robust, part of the reason is because they weren't just theologians, they were also novelists, right, mm. or poets, that they, they understood what it was like to fight your way through a, a story or a poem. And that actually augments your theology. It puts flesh on, on, on the idea, you know, it's an yeah. incarnation. So, so, so just, just make sure I'm hearing you correctly. You, you, um, tell it, the telling of stories helped enrich and strengthen um, their, their theology. This Absolutely. Like I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I know that when I finished writing the wing feather saga, when I made it to the end uh, that I, my understanding of who God was had changed. Uh, it just did like, like your, your understanding of, of predestination and free will, your understanding of suffering, you know, hmm. the way God uses suffering in our lives to shape us. Like, uh, you know, like for example, I've, I've always struggled with, it's an age old struggle, this idea that like predestination and free will, how can the, they both live in the same space? But like, there's this sense in which Janner and, you know, in a sub creative way, Janner Igaby, uh, did feel like he was making his own choices in the story. And yet I never stopped being the author of his story. You know, um, I gave him the freedom to say what he wanted to say and do what he wanted to do as he, as he moved, but I never lost sight of who he was becoming as the author of his story. Right. I never lost control of the story. Um, so there's this like fascinating, like head trip that happens when you get inside a story and you're like, this isn't exactly what it's like to be God, obviously, but he gives us little glimpse of uh, these little yeah. glimpses of understanding and how he works. So, like, you know, over the course of the ten years I was working on the Wingfeather Saga, I went through some uh, depression and, um, and, you know, some tough stuff happened in my life. But the 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 habit of thinking about uh, characters in a story and thinking mm -hmm. of life as a story helps give me a context for the suffering. Right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I was like. Oh, I'm I'm going through a terrible season right now, but that's okay. It's a story. Like that's that's not what I mean. Like it is hard when you're in it. And part of the nature of suffering is that you don't understand it, right? Part yeah. of part of the suffering is the confusion and the Job-like question, "Why God?" Right. Um, which even Jesus asked, right? Um, yeah. So, but story gives it a telos. It gives us this like. Mm. Um, yeah. shape to the end of where you're going that you're like, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I trust that the author is good. Right. Mm. Um, and so anyway, yeah, I could, I could go on and on about it, but uh, those are all things that like, I did not expect. I wasn't trying to learn these, those things that I, it was a byproduct of submitting yourself to the discipline of trying to understand how a story works. So, I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds somewhat akin to, what, what I, what I certainly experienced and perhaps you did as well. And I, and I hear from a lot of others, you know, um, about how their understanding of God and their theology is enriched and, and grown when they have children. 
Like oh, all yeah. of a sudden, all this, all of a sudden, it's like, well, I feel like I, I grasp this at a whole different level now that I have kids. Totally. But I, and I, and I heard a lot of that in you say uh, in you as you talk about you know giving life to this story. Like, well, yeah. now now I see things more more richly, more deeply, and differently than than exactly. I did before. Is that, is that exactly makes yeah. sense? Yeah. Yep. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Absolutely, man. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, great to chat with you. Friends, go and check out uh, the Wingfeather Tales and the whole Wingfeather saga anywhere books are sold. And check out that Easter Monday concert as well at andrew-peterson.com. Andrew, once again, thank you for spending time. I hope we can do it again uh, in the near future. Sounds great. Thank you. And thank you for listening in, friends. I uh, hope you join us right back here, same time, same place. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.